there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land. And welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. You know, it takes a lot to be a guest on our show. Uh, normally, the first requirement is to have been a Jungle Cruise skipper or in some other way tangentially related to the ride. That's, that's sort of an easy one. The next requirement is usually you have to be, I don't know, the mayor of a city or start a national brand of pretzels or be John Lasseter or have written a book about the ride. Short of that, having a pulse and being able to remember a few good stories will definitely set you up. But the bar is a lot higher if you're not a skipper to be on this show. You know, you either have to have been a Disney legend, a Disney historian, have another great podcast, or just give me a stack of money so I can keep this show on the air. Today's guest is none of these, but he is someone who I instantly knew that I wanted to have on the show. Maybe it's his insight into Disneyland and theme park fandom. Maybe it's his razor wit and high production values. Uh, Ultimately, he made me laugh in the very unique way that skippers make other skippers laugh. Uh, Watching his YouTube videos, the host of Some Jerk with a Camera, Tony Goldmark, reminded me of the conversations that us skippers used to have offstage, or occasionally nearly passed out under a table at a jungle luau party. So I was thrilled when he said he would join us for the show. Now, before we start, we have two quick notes. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time, make sure to find us on Facebook for all the updates about the podcast, facebook.com slash junglecruise, C-R-E-W-S. We have nearly daily updates with jungle vintage photos, history, and stories. Now, secondly, if you have heard our last two episodes, chatting with Kathleen and Matt from the Walt Disney World Happy Hour podcast, you may have heard our discussion about Fantasia ice cream, Walt's very own creation of banana, cherry, pistachio, and almond flavors. You know, you may, in the last six years, have had me bemoan regularly that this amazing creation had left the parks never to return. Well, the universe apparently listened to me. Did you hear that, universe? Bring back the people mover. While we wait for that, uh, make sure you get into the park and try Fantasia ice cream because you never know when something that you love will be ruthlessly yanked away from you by the Disney Corporation. All right, here we go. Season 6, Episode 7, as we present our interview with the amazing Tony Goldmark from the YouTube series Some Jerk with a Camera in an episode we like to call Nostalgia Cricket. Kungaloosh, everyone. So um, no, I'm I'm very happy to have you on. A lot of our regulars were very excited when I commented that we might uh, be reaching out to you. Uh, so so welcome. This I think you are one of uh, only a handful of non-skippers we have had. In, oh you know, really? One hundred and twenty five hundred and thirty episodes of the show, um, and and part of that is uh, saying to the people, welcome Tony Goldmark, uh, the the personality behind some jerk with a camera on YouTube. 
That's right. Uh, I, 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 I wanted to be a Jungle Cruise skipper when I was a kid, but I eventually realized, oh, working at Disneyland is not as fun as going to Disneyland. So I, I decided <laughs> so I chose this vocation instead where well, I just appear on camera and complain about the parks. Well, the funny thing of it is, is and this is one of the reasons I thought you would be a good fit is because you. Uh, you have the skipper mentality, the um, hmm. you know the slight disrespect for authority that uh, the Jungle Cruise skippers are known for, and the uh, uh, the level of wit, of course. Um, so, and I, I say the personality behind the some jerk with a camera YouTube stuff. Cause I, I don't think of you as a host uh, as much as uh, it really is a reflection of of your personality and who you are. Uh, does that does that does that ring of truth to you? It, it, it sort of does. Uh, it, there's very little uh, difference between uh, me, Tony Goldmark, as a person and some jerk with a camera, the character. It, 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 we're basically the same person, though some jerk is maybe, you know, sometimes a little quicker to anger and, and, and a little dumber and, and, and slower. Just whatever whatever the comedic situation calls for in terms of, you know, uh, exaggeration or whatever. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's very much myself. It's not like I, you know, it's not like a James Lipton thing where may I speak to jerk, please. You know, it's, 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 some jerk is pretty much just me. And, uh, and that's why on all my other shows, like, um, you know, state of the parks and one movie later, I, I, I still am kind of in the some jerk persona. Sure. Now, if for people who uh, have not yet had the pleasure of, of catching your show on YouTube, uh, how would you kind of give it as a brief summary of what you're trying to do with it? I'm basically uh, the nostalgia critic by way of Jim Hill, in a sense. I'm I'm sort of uh, I, I, I'm I'm sort of reviewing various park attractions and paraphernalia through a very comedic lens, but also kind of a historical lens uh, when the subject calls for it. You know, it's funny that the the way I was thinking about a, a good way to describe it, I kind of see you as a rogue Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> uh, for for both Disney and for the other parks, no, because you're a little bit of the conscience, uh, but you know you're a little bit less nice about it. Um, hmm. So when you say nostalgia critic, one of the things that I I have said for I'm a the long nostalgia time, cricket. Thank you, nostalgia cricket. Uh, yes. But when you say nostalgia, damn, that would have been that would have been a much better name than some jerk with a camera. <laughs> That's too late now. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what do you think that nostalgia has run rampant like uh, like, you know, a T-Rex through Jurassic Park? Well, I mean, the problem with theme parks, obviously, is um, and, and I pointed this out recently. I mean, you saw the commercial for the new Main Street electrical parade coming I, I, back. With, I, I did. Th- with, that, with was, all the, that was some fan service of a blowjob level. That was in, uh, indeed it was. And just Easter egg after Easter egg. And it was awesome, but it, it, it reminded me, wow, you know, in theme park, the member berries are sadistic Yes, because it's, it, it's going, you know, remember this, remember that, remember all these things, but you can't like, at least with nostalgic movie and TV fans, they can always go back and, you know, watch the episodes that are, and the movies that made them so nostalgic as, as kids. And, Theme park fans, we can't do that. I will never ride Maelstrom again. You know, that's that's something I have to live with. I will never, I will never ride the DCA Tower of Terror ever again unless I go to Paris, basically. But then it'll all be in French, from what I understand. But you, you know, it's um. So I understand why nostalgia runs more rampant 
than it does in it, it, it more rampant in theme park fandom than it does in just about any other fandom because you know a, a bit of our childhoods die whenever when, whenever a ride we loved in childhood closes forever and and no one wants to outlive their childhoods completely really so i understand the mentality having said that people do go way too far with it you know the because i mean i mean my philosophy has always been you know Yes, nostalgia is great, and and Disneyland certainly respects its own history way more than, say, Universal does. I mean, Universal Florida, literally the only ride that is still there that was there on opening day is the E.T. adventure. And there's a rumor now that that's going to close to make way for Super Nintendo World. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, Disney at least still has a bunch of these rides that – have been there for decades and decades and and Disney continually pluses them. I mean, there's 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 no rule that says Disney has to keep, you know, that if you know putting the Hatbox Ghost back in the Haunted Mansion, you know, Disney probably wasn't I mean maybe a few people would have come come to the park specifically for that, but no one was going to travel from, you know, a different country just to see the Hatbox Ghost. That's mainly for the locals to keep us coming back. And maybe that's, you know, and maybe it's cynical in a way to keep us on as satisfied customers, I guess. But it's like if if they just let the Haunted Mansion stay the way it was forever without any, you know, fan service or any continual plussing, people would still line up for it, I think. So, you, you know, they're spending money without necessarily getting anything, any return on their investment. So they really do respect the fans in a lot of way and they respect the nostalgia but only to a point because at some point you know walt designed the park specifically to be something that would never be finished and you know so when i heard when i heard it absolutely confirmed that you know the the tower of terror was gonna be turned into guardians of the galaxy mission breakout my reaction is well i guess i better ride that a few more times and then get excited for a whole new thrill cuz i want there to be new new thrill rides i mean well, and they they and certainly for- they certainly don't have any obligation to not take the haunted mansion and turn it into a nightmare mansion 12 well, months yeah. a year they don't have any obligation to do those things i mean i think that they do it to keep people quiet but you know they they very well, well you know they could do something radical like that if they felt that at some point something you know, wasn't working. Well, yeah, but the Haunted Mansion clearly is still. I mean, that's kind sure, of the sure, gold I'm just standard. Saying, though, you know? the, yeah, I mean, and, that, that's and, just the, I mean, that's just you know, you look at what they've what they've done with, um, uh, not Phantom Manor. What's the one uh, with the monkey in in uh, no, Mystic Manor? Mystic, Mystic Manor. Manor and, and, you look at Mystic haunt. Manor, and you know, there's part of me that would go, you know, much as I like Haunted Mansion, put Mystic Manor, you know. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to get rid of Haunted Mansion to make way for Mystic Manor, but yeah, I I would want both of them ideally to coexist. But you know, what are you gonna do? L- l- like, like if they were replacing the Tower of Terror with Mystic Manor, I don't think any of the fans would complain because we already know how awesome Mystic Manor is. But introduce something new, you know, like oh well, no one's ridden the Guardians of the Galaxy ride yet, so it's an untested, you know. Uh, concept and 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 people people just don't like change. I guess yeah. they don't like they, they don't like 
experiencing something they haven't experienced before. And and, and there is that level of comfort with Disney because there's that evocation of childhood. But granted, you know, but when Tower went in, people said that it would not work or that they didn't like it. There was such a the there was same. such a negative energy at the start of it that I look back and go, oh "Are God. you the same people that were yeah. were being this way? The same people who were like, oh, why does it have to be an inferior clone of the Florida Tower Terror? Why can't it be something new?' Twelve years later, it's something new, and they're complaining all over again. You yeah. can't win with these people. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> so one, I mean, the, sorry, go ahead. And, and, and getting back to Holiday, the, the the issue I have with Haunted Mansion Holiday is that they started too early. Mm-hmm. At Halloween, I want to ride the original Haunted Mansion. Sure. Damn it! And and I, I, it would be fine if it was just Christmas, but putting it in for Halloween too—that that crosses a line. Well, but I mean, you really have to ask the question: Is Nightmare Before Christmas a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? Well, yeah, it's both, but it's only see. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's not as much of a Halloween movie. Sure. It. it the the haunted mansion fits into Halloween. Like I remember a couple of years ago on the internet, I saw this banner ad for Halloween time at Disneyland, which used an image of the hitchhiking ghosts. Right. That's just a dick move. <laughs> it's like... Well, and that's. But before we get onto the next kind of big topic, we'll talk about the Jingle Cruise because we're now four years on. Oh yes. Uh, and I I would assume that you may have some opinions on the subject. What, what do you think about the jingle cruise uh, overlay? It, it, you know, I, I feel like a bad fan for saying this. I've never actually ridden the jingle cruise. I'd be, I, I, I don't know. It seems like every time I'm at the park, it never seemed like a priority to me. If I'm, if, if I'm being completely honest, because the first, the first year it happened, all I heard was that, you know, oh, they put a Santa hat on the elephant and that was about it. That, that Now, that's just what I've heard. Maybe sure. they've plussed it in the years since, but oh, it's, I don't it's, know. Yeah, it's it's extremely the, plussed, but they – I think a lot of the skippers have – they've gotten better at utilizing the skippers to make it work. But just the idea of Jingle Cruise – I mean they didn't even invent a new sign for it. They just plastered an I over the U. <laughs> And it's it, it, oh, it, it's just uh, pun wacky, you know, word wordplay. You know, I just it's yeah. Uh, I'm not. I, I I I don't know the very idea. I, I'm sure I'll I'm sure I'll write it eventually one of these years. But yeah, the very concept of it just offends me to my core. <laughs> well, and you made the comment. I mean, do you consider yourself a fan of the Jungle Cruise as the ride? Um. You know, not not in particular. I, I know I'm probably going to upset people who listen to this podcast, but honestly, not in particular, uh, at, at least compared to I don't know. I When it comes to Adventureland, I'm much more of an indie guy. I'm, I'm much more, you know, head straight for get the fast pass to Indiana Jones. Of course, part of the issue is, you know, nowadays, whenever I'm at the park, I'm always shooting stuff for the show. So I don't have time to ride as many rides as I'd as I'd like to. But um I do still like the Jungle Cruise a lot. Uh, I, 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 like you said, I like that the skippers bring a new energy to it. I think for me, I may have gotten just too many bad skippers in a row. You know, skippers who are literally 
Because there's good skippers and bad skippers. There's some skippers who like just read the script and add no inflection to it and do not. And maybe they're just tired. Mm-hmm. But you you know they 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 just it, it, you know it's the kind of ride that at this point is only as good as its skippers. Because we've all you know it, it's been at the park since opening day. We've all seen you know the tableaus of it. We, we we've com- they're, they're, the tableaus of the place are part of our DNA at this point. Right. Right. So you know it, it's all about the skippers and. You know, sometimes you get good ones and sometimes not so good well, ones. And that's that's with anything in the park. I mean, you're, you're always going to have people who cash the paycheck and just show up. And then you'll have people who take ownership and investment. And that's when those little moments of sparking and magic can happen is when you have people who really love their job. So. Indeed. Now, Indeed. one of the things that I would say um, is that at times during your videos, regardless of subject, there are moments that I would say that you may get a bit incensed. Uh, you know, there's emotion that runs through your commentary. Uh, I mean, do you see that? Uh, do you see it as anger or do you see it as nerd rage or what? I mean, is it just the way that you express your commentary? How does that how does that fit for you? You know, I've kind of been trying to clamp down on that recently just because I think it's boring after a while to just be constantly angry all the time. Although you know, I, I, I try to only save it for times when it works for the comedy of the situation like like where it's just funnier for me to be angry at a thing it's very rarely genuine anger um but probably the closest it ever came to being genuine anger was the it's a small world review <laughs> which yeah i genuinely despise it's a small world and and there are very specific things that i despise about it particularly the famous story of how Walt specifically forbade the Sherman brothers from giving away their royalties to charity because, wow, you actually had a chance to maybe do some good in the world with this awful ride, but Walt cared more about his already rich friends getting paid for it. So it's, Uh, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll link you one of our episodes. We had um, one of the, the theme park guys who was a jungle cruise skipper, like the 10th day the park was open who ended up being Walt's um, operations guy for Small World in New York. I'll I'll send you that link. It's a really interesting story. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, I mean, one of the things I really like about what you do is, yes, there's an aspect of comedy. Yes, there's an aspect that that they're catchy and viral and things like that. But your research... None of my videos have gone that viral. But I'm just saying, but there's an aspect of the people who catch on to them will then go through and watch everything. um, Sure. But, you know, the thing I like, you do your research and you know your stuff. Um, You know, you you don't just... uh, There's a lot of people on the Disney, you know, vlogosphere and, and podcasts and all that who will offer opinions, but they aren't necessarily, um, they don't have the context behind them. Uh, and it seems like you don't just grab a camera and go out. You, you put some time into figuring out what your message is going to be. Uh, am I misreading that? Or are you just winging the whole thing? Or do you, do you, uh, do you craft your message pretty well? I definitely try. Well, I I think it's a little highfalutin to call it a message, but I I, I definitely I definitely craft every episode as much as I can. I I wing very little of it. Like every now and then I'll think of a a, 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 I'll improvise a joke off the top of my head that, you know, pluses a scene or something. But um, but no, I very tight. I make sure I have a solid script first before I 
before I go shoot. Otherwise, it's just it's chaos. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that the the best example of that and this the thing that we referred a lot of people over to you for it was my first time seeing you was your riffing on the um, the opening day footage. <laughs> Um, that was, that was a lot of fun to do. How did that come about? I'm just kind of curious as to, well, I guess let me, let me pause before I hit that. What's your history with Disney besides just an avid park goer or? Well, it's two very different questions, but, uh, I've, uh, my history with Disney, um, obviously, you know, growing up as a kid in the, in the late eighties, early nineties at the peak of the Disney Renaissance, I was, you know, I, I saw the Disney movies. I watched the I, I watched the Disney Afternoon every day. And uh, growing up in San Francisco, uh, every year my mom would take me on a road trip to Disneyland. It just became like our annual tradition, and I just fell in love with the place. I went to Disney World in Florida a few times as a kid, and then as a teenager, I kind of went through. Uh, you know, uh, Disney sucks. You know, uh, you know, the, one of those angry teenager phases. But um, later on, I kind of got over that. But even as a kid, I was very, very interested in the history of 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 the Disney parks. Uh, I bought like um, you know the the Disney A to Z books and uh, and. Or well, well, I didn't buy them. My my family bought them for me. But I had like the coffee table books, uh, the art of Walt Disney and Disney A to Z, and I would just read through them cover to cover. And you know, I would constantly bug my mom, like we'd be like we'd be waiting online for Pirates of the Caribbean, and I'd go, "This ride first opened in March of 1967, and then it, it, it opened in Disney World in '73." You know, I would just constantly bug her with all this trivia. And then uh, later on, I. I as an adult, I kind of got over my Disney sucks phase and I got really interested in the history again. But by this point, there were blogs that were telling like the insider stories that those official coffee table books weren't telling. And that got me even more interested in the history. And I started and uh, eventually in 2008, I moved to L.A. and my very first uh, major purchase was a Disneyland annual pass. I became one of the 1.1 million or however many there are. Actually, I think it was quite a bit less then because that was before. Yeah, yeah before the, yeah, that, the before the the um, before monthly payments. Yeah, right, exactly. So I was, um, but I remember, you know, because it was the first time I'd ever lived that close to a Disney park. So I was able to go like as I was able to go as much as I wanted. But as I found happens with a lot of people who are fans of the parks and then suddenly move near one, uh, I still had that tourist mentality. I still had the mentality of I've got to do everything today. I've got to hit, you know, this ride, this ride, this ride, this ride, and this ride. i got to make sure I hit all these rides today, even though, you know, I, I lived an hour away. I didn't have to hit everything every every time I went, but I still tried to, and eventually it just got to the point where I got bored with everything. I remember, you know, I would I would just be sitting on Splash Mountain. I'm going, you know, I memorized the, every beat of this ride. What am I still doing on this thing? And do, starting my show was kind of my way of, you know, because but I didn't want to, you know, fall out in love with the fall out of love with the place. I still wanted to, you know, be able to keep my interest in it up. And doing my show was kind of my way of doing that, of um of of you know finding ways to go to the park and and kind of you know what um what Chris Hardwick calls a nerdist someone who's a nerd but also an artist so you know if I, if I may be a slight slightly pretentious about it someone who you know takes uh, takes the ephemera surrounding them and kind of 
and kind of um, absorbs it and then shoots it back out through the filter of nerddom. That, that, that I think, is what my show is, is really for in a lot of ways. But uh, I skipped over one of your questions. What, what else did you ask again? No, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to it in a second about, okay. about, okay. The, uh, okay. about the, um, the opening day. But, I mean, you know, All right. <laughs> the interesting thing is I think right now the most successful you know, podcast I could do on Disney would be a review of other Disney podcasts because I would <laughs> never run out of material – because there there's is, a lot of them. There certainly. are so many. And it's interesting that I feel like there are few of them, few things that are surrounding theme park fandom that pull off comedy successfully. There's a lot of people who do great insight and interviews and news and things like that. You know, we certainly have had our, our ups and downs as far as trying to put in some, some humor. You seem to have, um, you know, cracked the code a little bit. What, do you do you see that? Do you see that there's something uh, that's harder about being funny within that sphere of things? Being funny, I, I've I've also been a huge comedy fan my entire life. That, those have kind of been my twin passions. Have been Disney parks and comedy. I I've just absorbed as much of it as possible. Um, you know, o- over my life, I've always been obsessed with certain comedians and 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 just just comedy in general i'm i'm just you know my whole life it's just been feed me feed me jokes you know and um and, and there's basically two kinds of funny people in the world that i've found there's people who are just naturally funny it just kind of comes to them and they and they just see the world and, and that's almost sort of a mental disorder when, when someone is naturally funny there's usually something else wrong with them for example <laughs> well 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 uh, probably the most extreme example one of the most naturally funny people on the planet that ever existed in my opinion bill cosby mm-hmm. and we all know quite a bit wrong with him in, in addition to that. But there's also people who um, learn to be funny by just studying comedy and, and absorbing as much of it as they possibly can, you know, in every way they possibly can. And you just kind of, yeah, it's hard to describe really like, like Judd Apatow uh, describes himself definitely as one of those types who just absorbed so much comedy that he eventually kind of just through osmosis, figured out and learned how to be funny. And I feel like that's me as well. Um, beyond that, I mean, if I knew how it worked, I'd be a much richer man because I could bottle it and sell it, I guess. You know, it, it, it's – I just – you know, I, I just see things – and I'm certainly not the funniest person on the planet. But 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 I do, I do feel comfort – I do feel somewhat confident saying I'm one of the funniest people in this particular fandom doing what I do. And I – and, um, you know, call it a niche, I guess, if you want, but, um, well, you understand I'm doing a podcast that's nearly entirely targeted, uh, well, about sure. the jungle cruise. I am about the most niche podcast that, that's in the <laughs> Disney sphere, but the great thing about it is it, it also keeps me different and it keeps my voice very distinct from a lot of the news Disney podcasts or the, you know, opinion or, you know, the other things that are out there. You know, I, right. I think that it actually works as an advantage. Uh, let's roll it back to the um, the opening day riffing. Uh, I, I, of course, well, I would like I, I would like to say this before we get to that. Um, I don't know if this helps, but one thing I've noticed about 
you know, trying to write jokes for this particular fu- – first of all, I try not to go for – types of jokes that I've seen done a million times before. Like, like cause, cause you just get tired of them and, and it becomes hackneyed after a while. And if I'm going to do one of those types of jokes, I at least like to try to think of a new spin on it in, mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. Um, but, but what I do find is that the best jokes always hit me like a bolt of lightning and the jokes that I really have to struggle with to make funny are never that funny. They're always – even even after I struggle with them, I've always managed to turn, you know, shit into crap basically. I, I just – I polishing the turd is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, I, I, it's basically just me polishing a turd, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's – you know, I – without going into to too much on the my side, I did um, – uh, two years of very intensive stand-up back in like 93, 94, where... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it was right during the boom, and I was doing 150 shows in, in like a year and a half, and, uh, you know, I was really deep into it, and then the PTSD hit afterwards, and I haven't uh, mm. been able to step onto a stage, and I've done a couple open mics recently, but, yeah, it uh, it can be a real burnout when you are... When you have your head under the comedy water... Uh, occasionally yeah. come up for breath, but it's pretty easy to drown. So, I I tried my hand at open mic stand up back in two thousand nine or so. Very quickly learned that it was not for me. Yeah, it, it's and part of the part of it that sucks is just you know having to go to these open mics and just having to sit through all the other horrible comics who are just trying to start out and make careers for themselves. And no one's good when they start out. No, it, everyone's you know. Everyone's passable at best, and and I occasionally got a couple of laughs. I think there was some potential there, but it, it, I I just I just got tired of wallowing through all that sadness. You know, everyone, everyone's set was just you know Ann Coulter at the Rob Lowe roast. It's just you know de- depressing to watch. Well, uh, yeah, and that's I'm doing the next um, Skipper stand-up show at the Brea Improv whenever that gets scheduled, and it's you know it's all Jungle Cruise skippers in a, a room that's very. Um, uh, agreeable. It's the easiest room to play. So that's, I'm looking mm. forward to putting my toe back in the water. Well, that's uh, good. So yeah. It, back into the jungle cruise. Well, I, I, I didn't know you were allowed to put your, I thought, I thought arms and legs must remain inside the boat. Well, if your toe is in the water for more than 30 seconds, they require a tetanus shot. Of course. It right. It is the, uh, it is the nastiest water that is, that is in existence. <laughs> it is, uh, duck, duck tails right there. There's all kinds of duck tails from the jungle. Oh boy. Um, the, um, I, I, let me just ask you quickly while we're on the subject of skippers. Are you guys just absolutely sick to death by now of people re- referencing Skipper Dan? Oh, the the Weird Al song? Well, yeah. It, the it, we- it's a it's a double-edged sword because you can never say anything bad about Weird Al, being that he is the patron right. saint of comedy. Of um, course. You know, that would just be sacrilegious. I That one uh, a little bit – I think that skippers get really tired of the – you know, for a while you had the core AP people before the – the park got too busy where we would see the same person three nights a week uh, and they'd come and appreciate. And that was nice. But then you had the people who would come in and would, would try to cut your punchlines and tell them before you did. Mm. Those were the ones that were really more, more frustrating, but no, no. I mean, I think the Skipper Dan song, uh, I mean, that was written right in the prime of, of when we were at the park, when I was at the park. Um, right. And you know, it was definitely, um, a, a nice tribute. It was nice to be noticed. Uh, yeah, it, it- 
It's one of his less um, overtly funny songs is the interesting thing. It's it's more like uh, he did it musically. It's kind of the style of Weezer, but it almost feels like like it could be a real Fountains of Wayne song or something just about, you know, people people stuck in careers they're not too fond of. And a, a while back, um, my friends uh, Dave and Charlie, uh, who did the who did the um, opening telecast riff with me to eventually get back to that. But um, they were shooting something at the par at right in front of Jungle Cruise where they referenced Skipper Dan. And uh, right after they finished and a cast member walked by them and said on camera, never say the word Skipper Dan again. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm still waiting for the Ben Folds cover of that song. And I think that would be an oh, that'll be cast. awesome. I ask you about soaring. Ah, I really wanted to talk to you about soaring. Yeah, well, I mean, do you want to chat about soaring? Yeah, why not? Sure. Let's, let's, as long as you got me. We will slice this in. So, uh, yeah, so we saw the, one of the big changes at DCA in the last few months has been the the reintroduction of the soaring over the world ride, because over California wasn't enough. Yeah. Uh, Have you had the experience yet? Have you been on it? I have indeed, a couple of times now. And, um, I think it is absolutely perfect for Epcot. Mm-hmm. I think it. I, I, I think at Epcot, it, it fits like a glove. You know, World Showcase is, is in the same park. It it works really well. Um, I don't think it fits as well into DCA. I think DCA would have been better off just keeping the original if I were to be given the choice, just because. The, the new one, I, I mean, the original had a little bit of CGI, you know, it had the golf ball and it had Tinkerbell at the end, obviously, but this one just feels kind of overloaded with it. From what I understand, the Taj Mahal sequence is all CGI. So is the Eiffel like, Tower. Yeah, and, and the Eiffel, I mean, I mean, it was, I do like that it now, uh, there's things I like about it and things I don't like. There, um, I don't like that it's got as much CGI as it has because it all just looks so well, damn fake. The Polynesian and, rowers are CGI. And yeah, really obviously the, CGI. The orca whale and the yeah. which which just looks like the end of South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Now you know it's. I, I mean, the, uh, but I mean, um, but I do like that it actually has transitions now and not just hard cuts. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it felt a little like George Lucas got his hands on the transition because yeah. <laughs> it really felt like a star wipe. Every you know, it's these flash cuts that are just so abrupt that there's no narrative story. The thing I liked about the prior one is the pacing gave it some sort of a sense of a story going over California, but because there's no, I mean, there's no narrative to it, but because there's so it's many a mood piece. Cuts, yeah, but there's so many fast cuts that I just feel like you never really get a mood. You never hmm. really feel anything other than, hey, I'm soaring over the world. Here's my take on it. I think if – uh, uh, and again, this is me being a perspectivologist. Um, I think if originally – I don't know I don't know how this would work because it wouldn't tie into California. But I think originally if they'd opened with soaring around the world – and then they replaced it with the original Soren over California. I would probably find Soren Arab over California kind of boring. Yeah, just because. But if it, yeah. if it, if it, if they had reshot it, because it was looking very dated, going from IMAX to projection. Sure, uh, but you know, like the smells, the smells in the Soaring over the world, none of them hit me to the point where I could really get an impact from them. It wasn't mm. pine and orange and sea salt. It's jasmine right. and coconut and you know whatever it is. It just didn't have the 
the emotional punch for me that that soaring over California had. I suppose so. I mean, I, I mean, my um, my kind of litmus test for um, for 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 these kinds of ref, uh, for these kind of revamps is always well, what if it was in reverse? What if they were replacing the new version with the old version? How right. would I feel then? Now, it doesn't always stand up to that litmus test because if they had replaced Stitch's Great Escape with Alien Encounter, I absolutely would have considered Alien Encounter better. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stitch's Great Escape. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that, that's that's kind of the 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 ultimate shit standard of you know a, a bad yeah. re. For, for some people, it's under new management, but for me, it's it's Stitch. There we go, everyone. The first half of our interview with Tony Goldmark. Make sure you join us back next week for the second half, where we chat about his riffing on the original broadcast of Disneyland, uh, as well as a lot more insights into the theme parks and uh, and his personal take on what's happening in the Disney sphere. Congaloosh, everyone. We'll see you guys soon.